This week on Inside Motorsport, we catch up with Lara Wilde and talk to her about the Wild Drive. Lara Wilde joins us on the line now and as the supercars head up to far north Queensland, I figured it'd be fitting we catch up with Lara who's uh, well working right throughout that Queensland motorsport segment. And Lara, you've had an interesting life in motorsport. I have, I have. I think cars have always been a part of my life and there's so much more than uh, just a way to get from A to B. What was your first motor motorsport experience? I think going to Speedway when I was very, very young and I remember being so loud and wishing I had earmarks and it just, it was a, a total body experience being trackside at the Speedway and experiencing those uh, Formula cars going around and around. Did you have family members that raced or was this something you just took yourself off with friends? <laughs> no, my, my father was mad about cars. So he always had a collection of British sports cars and so on. And for him, it was very much about image more than motorsport. My mother had a collection of very cool cars. She had, you know, the Sandman panel van. And my first experience of a Leyland P76 was uh, my mother's car. So she had quite a few cool cars as well. So they were both. Uh, enthusiasts of, of motoring, but no, no, no one actually involved in motorsport itself. That was just me loving being a part of the culture. So when did you move over from fan to an active participant, as it were? Well, it's been an interesting rollercoaster ride. So it went from I just love cars and I want to be around them to starting my own event management company. And back then I was doing rural shows. Um, and BNS balls, and then that turned into running Ute shows. So I started up a Ute show series in Outback Australia, where we raised funds for drought-stricken communities, and and married the two up. And of course, that came with circle work competitions and all sorts of different. Um, oh, we had one competition where you had to change a tire and do a go to woe, and then jump in your car and do something else to it. it was you know we, we came up with all sorts of interesting things to raise money. And from there, I ended up um, meeting the wonderful people at Queensland Raceway and doing some work with them with Queensland Raceway and Lakeside for a while and then went on to doing PR for some of the Touring Car Masters teams and Formula Ford competitors. And so got to be trackside at the V8s and, and travel all over Australia doing that. And, yeah, now I do a lot of commentary. So I'm at the Speedway, at the drag racing. Uh, I go to a lot of burnout competitions. Anywhere I can talk about cars. How have you worked your way through the different obstacles? And I imagine one of them being it's a very blokey uh, sport and a very blokey mentality you have to deal with. Yeah, it's interesting that um, I think the thing that's, that's common across all motorsport is the culture of we're, we're talking about potential weapons here. You know, it's a very dangerous sport. And so I think, yes, on the surface layer, we often get that whole blokey men's world, women's world, etc. But at the end of the day, you don't need any particular genitalia to drive a car. And women, particularly at the drag racing strip, we see them getting better reaction times because of who they are and their ability to, to read that vehicle better. So it's interesting that sometimes I think it's just perceived. And once given the opportunity, women are competing on that equal footing and the same in the mechanics and so on. But... What's really struck me is I've gone across uh, from the Targa world through to drag racing, through to burnouts, car shows, etc. It's that constant community of everyone is passionate about the cars. 
And at the end of the day, they don't care if it's a Ford or a Holden and they don't care if you're male or female. They read the true, you know, do you really love the cars? And that commitment of we want to make sure everyone's safe, we want to make sure that everybody is uh, getting the most out of this vehicle. So that becomes the priority, not whether or not you're wearing a skirt. Working as you do predominantly in Queensland, what is the motorsport community like and what's the strength of motorsport in Queensland at the moment? It's really, really encouraging. We're seeing places like Lakeside are really being challenged by that suburban growth and noise restrictions. And then we've got places like Springmount Raceway and Far North Queensland they have no noise restrictions, no curfew, but because they're out of town, they're struggling to get the crowd to those events and to really bring people to the motorsport. I think the the culture is still alive and well, and people are getting more and more creative about how that motorsport looks for them. So it's not necessarily the V8 supercars. It's grassroots speedway action where you've got grandson, son and grandfather competing or grandmothers competing Um, against their grandkids on a weekend and that's where we're seeing that grassroots come through and we've got movements like drive it out of council that are looking at how do we get a motorsport facility a purpose-built motorsport facility delivered up here to really bring those grassroots competitors through and make sure that they get noticed and get picked up by the bigger names. A lot of talk about Rockhampton and their plans to put in a permanent facility as well how's that progressing? Yeah Rocky Nats is going to be a huge boon for those guys they're um they're not going to look back after getting that event. And it's interesting that people in North Queensland and Central Queensland are so behind Rockhampton getting that facility. You know, we've got a drag strip at Benarabi. We've got Palmyra Speedway, um, Raceway, sorry, at Mackay. We've got nothing in Townsville. Rockhampton getting something along as well is going to be massive to help that, that region because we travel so far for this motorsport. It's nothing for competitors up here to get in and drag their trailer nine, ten hours to compete for one day of racing. The tyranny of distance is what really hurts, isn't it, when it's so spread out because some people aren't prepared to make that travelling and so they'll race at Archerfield, they might go up into the mountains to uh, to Woomba, but they won't venture much further. Yeah, like if you look at Drag Week though, we've got guys that are doing Lakeside, they're doing Willowbank and then they're going up to Warwick um, and that's a really popular event and it's is picking up a lot of competitors. I think in Queensland, because we are such a big state, we're just used to you're going to have to travel. The challenge is, though, uh, those tracks are not going to survive unless they get spectators as well. It's a two-pronged approach here. So they're getting the competitors, and we're getting some of the great cars. We get the nitros and so on in final Queensland, and it's great to have that happening. But until we can get the spectators behind it and we can compete with Netflix at home or... Um, air conditioned, something happening in the city, that's where we're struggling. Do you still see the car culture as strong as ever in Queensland? Yeah, very much. Um, whether it's a weekend car show or just there's a poker run on every weekend, there's a cars and coffee on every weekend, it's really great to see that there's so much of that car culture and people are getting out there and appreciating whatever you brought, whether it's JDM, old school, completely original, got wood wheels, everybody can appreciate something out there. And there is a very strong push for people to, you know, there'll be people travelling from all over Queensland uh, and other states in Australia to be coming up here for Tropical Meltdown, the big burnout comp that's happening in July There'll be people travelling to Rocky Nats when that goes down. A lot of Queenslanders travel across to the NT for Red Senate Nats. 
And it's not just we're going there to race, but we're going there to race and the show and shine and the go to woe and the Jim Carter and the burnout comp and these cars are doing it all. And a lot of towns are realising that there is motor racing tourism that goes with it. Yeah, and it's more than that. It's not just the motorsport side of it, but we've seen small communities that have, you know, a cafe that's completely decked out in Holden memorabilia or there was one town that had uh, like a car dump on the edge of town. And it became a tourist attraction in its own right. The people would come to town for a week and then just wander through this car dump, grabbing special badges of old Holdens and, and finding out what else is out there and then creating that community around it. So, yeah, the motorsport tourism opportunities are going to be massive in the future. How have you then cut your niche in having a passion and a business? So, for me, I really struggled because, you know, we were talking before about uh, my, my roots in motorsport. And I, I saw recently there was a um, IHRA, I think it was, put up a, a, a survey of women in motorsport and drag racing. And the two options were, were you pit crew or were you a driver? And I have never desired to be a driver. So where do I fit? Because I'm not mechanically minded and I don't like getting dirty. And I'm not the only one out there. So I created Wild Drive very much for people who love the cars and they want to be involved but they don't want to be getting dirty or they don't want to be pushing their car to its absolute limits on a burnout pad or such. So I created this purely for let's have the conversation about cars and let's look at how do you take care of your car so you never have to rebuild the motor because so much of it out there is very much, you know, push it hard, go fast, rebuild the motor, you know, completely rebuild the whole car. What if I've just got a Camry and I want to love it and I really want to enjoy it and be proud of it? And how have people taken to your talks and presentations in and around just enjoying the motor vehicle? Well, it's been interesting because especially amongst women um, that, you know, I I also have a range of my own accessories that I brought out and and they want to be able to put their mark. A car can be a very personal thing. It can be a great form of self-expression. So for them to be able to add an accessory that says this is definitely a girl's car without it being pink or for them to be able to do some work on their own car without worrying about, you know, is this going to cost me more money because I'll stuff it up and to have someone that is willing to ask the dumb questions for them, who's willing to look silly to find out the answers, who's willing to show you the most simple way to do it, it's been really well received. But what has really surprised me, because I, I do go to a lot of car events and I do a lot of commentary, and I quite, quite often get the knee-jerk reaction of, oh, I can't believe they've got a woman commentating the racing. And then what I find a lot of is there's a lot of blokes out there who aren't alpha males or who didn't grow up in a mechanically-minded household, and suddenly they feel that I'm a safe place to come and ask the questions that they wouldn't ask their mates. So Red Senanats, I had a guy come up to me and say, when are you going to do a thing on how to detail my car to enter at the show and shine? Because I'd really love to enter it, but I don't know what the steps are and how to bring it up to scratch like that. So it's yeah, you know, I expected that I would get a positive response from women, but I've got a really good response from men who just want to have a conversation about their car without having to fit in the testosterone battle at the same time. Also have been looking at motoring trends. The future of electric cars is something that people like to talk to you about as well. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's, it's funny, electric cars, I'm all for it. I think they've definitely got a place in our future. I think there's so many options for us to look at alternative fuels. And then when we start talking about uh, flying cars or self-driving cars, it just 
that blows my mind because there's so many possibilities for what's going to happen out there. And on the one hand, I'm sitting here going, flying cars, how amazing would that be if you can take a two-hour commute and drop it down to 20 minutes? And what's that going to mean for your real estate prices? And what does that mean for your inner-city parking and town planning and all these questions? But then, by the same token, on the school holidays, one of the neighbour's kids flew his drone into my backyard and it just made me so cranky. And I thought, what am I going to do when that's a family of six that hop out? <laughs> you know, flying cars. I don't think we've quite thought through all the impact uh, and the legislation that goes behind it. I think the technology is ahead of society here. What also is going to do it is the automated car and the driverless car. And there's there's a lot of debates going in and around the future of, you know, a completely automated uh, transportation system. Yeah, we're starting to see some of the trials coming out, and I love following what Motor Traders Association of Queensland Innovation Department is doing because those guys are really at the forefront of you know what can we do with a flying car, what can we do. But when we talk about automation, imagine you know you've cut your two-hour commute uh, down to twenty minutes, you fly into the city, and then you send your car home for the day, or you send it out to be an Uber for the day without you. Who's responsible if that car has an accident? And what is the decision-making paradigm for that car? If it it says an accident is imminent, how does it decide who to sacrifice, so to speak? So there's a lot of questions to be had when we start talking about this. But I think particularly electric vehicles, as they get quieter, but still have that performance and the instant torque that we look for in motorsport, could be the saving grace of places like Lakeside Raceway, which have all those noise restrictions and curfews in place. Mm, yes, AI is certainly a battlefield for uh, the developers at the moment. And then what will electric racing turn into? We see what Formula E has, but um, it really isn't gripping the world, is it, at the moment? Well, I think people, you know, people have generally don't like change. But what's been interesting for me are the people that I'm seeing at the forefront. So, you know, we assume that it's all happening in a lab somewhere and that it's these young geeky guys are playing with it. But years and years and years ago, I met a guy in Mackay who, uh, God, he's in his 60s and he was setting up a land speed record in a motorcycle streamliner and he made it electric because he thought, well, if I'm going to set a land speed record, I might as well tick two boxes at once and also set the hybrid. So... People are starting to experiment, and I don't think we should underestimate what the backyard mechanics are turning out as far as innovation goes. Mm -hmm. And they're doing some pretty creative things out there, and I'm loving, absolutely loving the retrofit of, you know, old-school muscle cars that may not have been particularly special, uh, but suddenly we're fitting them out with electric motors. And as that price comes down, we're going to see a lot of that. What's next for Lara Wild and Wild Drive? Well, I uh, launched my store, Wild Garage, again today for the kicking off of the financial year. So that was exciting. I'm um, definitely focusing more on creating products that I want to use in my car. So when I go into spare parts shops, it drives me batty that the girls' section is pink and purple and the boys' section is black and chrome when I look for accessories. And if I don't want to have Betty Boop or a fringe, a panty flower, I'm a bit stuck. So... I wanted to create a line of accessories that I love and I want to use on my car. And I think they're practical and they're safe and they're simple and they're stylish. So there's that happening. Plus, I have a full calendar at the moment of commentary gigs. Uh, I did summon apps earlier this year. I do all of the Speedway in North Queensland. I do all the drag racing in North Queensland. I'm loving being on the mic every single weekend. 
but then also doing a lot of writing for different online blogs and magazines and, and getting the stories out there about not only the cars, but the people who make them what they are. Well, Lara, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you here today and uh, look forward to seeing how it all progresses up there, particularly in Queensland, with uh, so many things on the boil at the moment. It could be a very interesting time for motorsport in your neck of the woods. It's funny, isn't it? Like, motorsport in Final Queensland has been around for eons, and yet I feel like we're on the verge of something great happening. If we can get, you know, this grassroots motorsport taken to that next professional level, it's going to be really exciting. Thanks for having me. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Motorsport. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.